Psalms 32 and 51 are a first-hand response to the events narrated in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. Now, those events are David lied, David at the least committed adultery, and then ordered a murder. After some time, he's stricken with, with guilt, with misery, Somewhere between 9 and 12 months pass. Then the prophet Nathan confronts David, and he finally comes clean and deals with his guilt. In Psalm 51, we hear David's confession. He begged God, have mercy on me, wash me. He understood the nature of his sin. He said, against you, you only have I sinned. He desired a a whole change in his being, in his person. He said, create in me a clean heart. Don't just change my superficial, out-looking things. Create in me, like make me new. And he became deeply concerned with God's mission, will, in verse at the end, he says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, O Lord. In the middle of the confession, David made a promise. It's in verse 13 of Psalm 51. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And David makes good on that promise by writing Psalm 32. He reflects on his experience and moves on to instruct us on the joy of confession, on the wisdom of confession, on the beauty of repentance. The true blessedness of dealing with our sin by honest confession and receiving God's forgiveness. King David wrote it as a teacher. Again, similar to the Proverbs where it's like, I want to teach you this. Wake up. Don't go down the same path I did. Learn from this. Hear this. I want you to know that when God gave me instruction and wisdom, I chose to walk in foolishness. I didn't follow his law. And this is the trouble that happened as a result. But but here is the wonderful way God restored me. That's what he's teaching us. Now, I I feel as if we talk about confession and repentance a lot, but I don't mind because we're in good company. David, John the Baptist, Paul, Jesus himself starts off his ministry in Mark 1.14 with repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. It was the one word sermon of the Old Testament prophets. All right, welcome. Everyone's here. Repent. All right, let's go to the sizzler. We're done. That's it. Like, that's the sermon. Repent. We're in good company. So my, my hope is to live a life of repentance. Be a, a family of joyful Worshippers who regularly confess their sin to God and forsake it by turning away 
from it, whatever it is, and turning to Jesus. And I'll tell you up front, there's a lie, a devious lie about repentance, and it's this, that repentance is a life of Debbie Downer morosity. That's not even a word. You're morose. It's unnecessary. That's not the life. Repentance is for rejoicing. Did you hear me? Now, if you've conflated that word with penance in your mind, you think morose, beating of yourself, lashings even, right? That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about repentance, which is turning from anything that is not worth your joy, your love, your admiration, reordering your, reordering your loves and loving God the most fully with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you turn to him, you get the beauty of Psalm 16. In his face, in his presence, are joys, pleasures forevermore. So repentance is about worshiping, and when you turn from worshiping anything that's not Jesus to Jesus, that's joy, joy, joy. Down in your heart. How can I make this claim? First two verses of Psalm 32. (laughs) Verse one, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Hear this, church. Hear this, people of God. Hear this. Even those that are unsure of Jesus, maybe skeptical about Christianity, those who grew up in the church and become burnt by it, or those of you who have consciously kept your distance from Sunday gatherings. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. What do you really need? What will change you? What will bring hope? What will make you joyful? Being forgiven by God. That's what. The the first beatitude in the Psalms, in chapter 1, pronounces blessings on the obedient. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the path way with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So, so how joyful is the obedient? But the second beatitude pronounces blessings on the disobedient who've been forgiven. And he starts with a powerful refrain. It's like the hook of a song starting the song with this anthemic chorus. It hooks you and gets you excited. How joyful is the man 
whose transgression is covered, is forgiven. He, he's a poet, and so he uses three slightly different words to help us understand the fullness and extent of sin. He says transgression, sin, iniquity. He doesn't want us to miss one aspect of what it means. Transgression, that's crossing a line. Here's the line. God has set the line. You've crossed the line. Sin, sin is the violation of divine command. God has said, don't do this or do this. And you've said, "Mm mm-mm. Iniquity is a perverse turning aside from the proper course of life. It's an absolutely entrenched desire not to do anything right. But within the same anthemic chorus, sin is juxtaposed with the awesomeness of God's forgiveness. You, you get the rounded, robust picture of us missing the mark, of violating God's commands, perversing his ways, and then you get the robust, superabounding grace of God when he says, your transgression is covered, your sin is covered, your transgression is forgiven, your sin is covered, and God chooses to count no iniquity. So yeah, see that that big, robust vision of sin, but also see the robust, beautiful, super abounding grace of God's forgiveness. Forgive. That's the word to lift or to carry away. That your sin is a heavy burden that only God can carry, and he carries it away from you. The word covered. That, that alludes to the sacrifices that covered the people's sins. That blood was poured out, an animal was sacrificed, dead, blood spilled to cover the sins. God covers the repentant man's sins. He hides it. He obliterates it. And then David says that God does not count or impute or think upon your sins. He's chosen to remove them so they can no longer be counted on your record. Joyful is the one whose sin is forgiven. That's a dope hook. I don't know what the melody is. I have a beat in my mind, but that's just for me. Joyful is the one whose sin is forgiven. This is a joyful proclamation. This is reality. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this is yours. If Jesus is yours and you are his, how joyful are you because your sins have been forgiven? If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want you to hear, learn from David, and then do what David does. Just turn to him. Corral to him. You'll see what I mean. Because joyful is the one whose sin is forgiven. That's his experience. That's our experience. But I think we all know what it feels like 
to feel unforgiven. In debt, guilty, shameful, at a distance. Look at verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah, I got to take a break. Pause. So how did David initially handle his sin? He goes silent. He doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't confess it. He doesn't bring it to light. He turns from it. And from what we know, this goes on for nine months to a year before he's confronted by Nathan. And in this time, this is what these verses are covering. That time, in his silence, in his lack of confession, in his hiding, covering his sin, his bones are wasting away. He groans all day. His strength dries up. Now, I do want you to know, quickly, a little aside, we must know that not all of our suffering is a result of our personal sin. We must not assume that our sin is the cause of all our hurt and brokenness, but we must always consider if and how sin might be involved. Looking at Scripture, we should consider that possibility that we are reaping the consequences of our own sin in suffering at times. But often we're like David and we go silent. We don't see that we are suffering the consequences of our own anti-repentance. It's not neutral. Going silent, hiding, covering is not neutral. It is blatant anti-repentance. Turning from God further and turning further into your sin. We go inward. Like last week, we talked about the grief of suffering and lamenting and how gracious God is to give us that, to, to learn how to take our wounds and our our pain to him and grieve our losses to him. But just like we can talk to ourselves about all of our suffering and our anxieties and become more and more restless, we can also go inward and confess our sins only to ourselves like we're the mediator that we need to relieve us of this guilt and it doesn't go anywhere. talk to ourselves like David we just for our actions we compare ourselves to others we think to ourselves we look inward we process alone we separate from God bones wasting away groaning heavy hand on you 
but even with that heavy hand, we excuse our sin. So we make light of it. We're blinded by our sin, so we don't have any recognition of sin to repent of. We're deceived by our sin, so we're passionately adamant on not needing to repent. We become hardened by sin, so we intentionally reject and rebel against God. We begin to say things to ourselves like, no one can tell me what to do. This is my thing, so I don't need to tell anyone else. I'm not that bad of a guy. Actually, pretty great guy. Or it's just this one thing. I'll, I'll keep it compartmentalized. I'll keep it hidden. Or we take it on as our identity, like this is who I am now. Deal with it. Instead of dealing with the sin, we make everyone else deal with it. Think about the contrast between this misery and suffering and the joy in the first two verses. You know what David is teaching us? To see the night and day difference between the misery of silence and the joy of a full, honest confession to God. When I kept silent about my sin, my strength was dried up. I felt pressed down, unable to move, a useless version of my former self. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a powerful description of spiritual depression. That that is a path to spiritual depression, hiding your sin, covering it, dealing with it yourself. You have no energy, can't do anything, your body aches. As he stayed silent about his sin, it affected his entire being. But God didn't leave him there. He didn't exile David to his guilt. God's heavy hand was on David keeping the, the gravity and the consequences of his sin before him. That's what the Bible means. That's what the Bible means in the New Testament when it says God's kindness leads to repentance. Does it feel heavy sometimes? Yeah. If it's conviction, yes. But it's a grace. It's kindness to you. Otherwise, he is abandoning you to your own desires. And if you know anything of the Bible, you know where that goes. For us. Chaos, madness. One of the most powerful kings in the Old Testament turning into a wild animal. That's what happens. God's heavy hands, a sweet gift to convince us to turn from our sin. He doesn't want us to remain there and to stay silent about it. He wants us to confess to 
him and enjoy his forgiveness. It's a sign of his steadfast, faithful love because the father disciplines those he loves and he loves David, so he turns David's heart to him through convicting David of his sin. Now this is a big deal because in confession and repentance, if you move too quickly past conviction, if you're like, yeah, I get it, that was wrong, and you, you just you move too fast, you'll spin in the cul-de-sac of self-deception because you'll end up telling yourself and others that you're repenting of something that you're not even convinced is wrong. You'll confess things that you don't really believe to be true. Conviction, like all of repentance, as must start and end with Jesus. Jesus must be the center of our confession, must be the center of our repentance. Instead of us being the center and talking to ourselves, we talk to Jesus. Instead of judging our sin based on how we see it, we allow him to tell us how he judges it based on how he sees it. Genuine repentance has Jesus at the center, where he's the focus of our attention. If we do not allow godly conviction to lead us to godly sorrow over our sin, then our pain-filled cries to God really are just us begging him to take away bad feelings instead of us begging him to show his grace and mercy and change our hearts that we might see him. That's the, the classic anti-conviction is just mere human sorrow for being caught, for being found out, for not living up to your standard and being exposed for you not doing the standard that you set up for yourself. but his heavy hand, his conviction, his kindness is all that we might rejoice in him because of his forgiveness, that we might enjoy him because of his mercy, to thank him that, that I didn't know what else to do with this guilt. I tried. I tried to do it myself. I hid it. I covered it. I don't know what to do with guilt. And Jesus says, I do, here I am. <coughs> Conviction, godly grief, leads to telling the truth. Transparency, agreeing with God, speaking the same things as God. Verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. So after we're grieved by our sin, convicted by the Holy Spirit, we confess to him. Now again, we see three synonymous words here. 
convey the extent and fullness of his confession. What does he say? I acknowledge my sin. I uncover my sin. I confess my sin. So if you're like, what does confession mean? It means to expose, uncover, acknowledge, bring it to the light. Everything is out in the open. David lays bare his soul before the Lord. One author has said, true confession consists in humbly telling the whole truth about our sin. Hear me. Confession is not about mouthing words, but about telling the truth from a changing heart. And so you agree with God with what he says about your sin, and you name it specifically. We, we don't sin in general. We, we sin in specifics. And you know how the Holy Spirit convicts us? Specifically. Why? To lead us to joy. The, the counterfeit of that is that the enemy comes in not with specifics, but with vague condemnation to what? Eliminate your joy. That's what First John 4 means in one sense, in one application. It means test the spirits, discern. Is this heavy hand, vague condemnation from the enemy, or is this specific conviction from the spirit you need to know? Because one is leading you to a morose, Debbie Downer, feel bad about yourself life. And the other is setting you up for joy now, tomorrow, and eternity. David McIntyre, an old Scottish writer, he says this, the child of God will confess sin in particular. An unsound Christian will confess sin by wholesale. He'll acknowledge he is a sinner in general. Whereas David doth, as it were, point with his finger to the sore, I have done this evil. He's not say I've done evil, but this evil. He points to his blood guiltiness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the context of this chapter, 1 John 1, confession is the verbal part of that repentance. That's why I keep kind of using them synonymously or together because Confession is putting into words for God our acknowledgement of our sin. Like I said, not mouthing words merely because people want to hear it or you think God wants to hear it, but telling the truth from an honest heart, a changing heart. You can think about it as repentance is eternal internal, sorry. Confession's the external evidence of that repentance. So what I'm trying to get at is for us to learn from David, to learn the wisdom of confession. Because similar to the Proverbs, it shows you the path where this goes, where this ends. 
And covering your sins doesn't work. Hiding doesn't work. Keeping silent doesn't work. But when we confess our sin, God forgives and covers them, and they're hidden from sight, never to be seen again. There's a, there's a play on words here that I want you to see. If you cover your sin, God won't. If you don't cover your sin, God will. That's the poetic play on words that he's showing us. If you want to hide your sin, then you don't need God to cover it. But if you uncover it, expose it, take it to him, he's the one that can actually deal with it objectively and subjectively. He actually can deal with it. Take it away, remove it, carry it, put it on his shoulders, wash it away from you, cleanse you, filter it all through the blood of his son and make you look white, righteous in his sight. Now, I think we don't confess in one part is because we fear that it will only lead to greater feelings of guilt and more judgment from God. It's another lie to disbelieve, to turn from, because the righteous judge Jesus is filled to the full, to the brim, exudes loving kindness and is ready, posed to jump at the opportunity to forgive you. The real loss in hiding or not confessing our sin is the lack of intimacy you are cutting yourself off from with Jesus. You know that. You know relationships. Just be very straightforward. In a relationship where you're hiding something from the other person, you're intentionally keeping it from them, you won't tell them, you think you're going to handle them, what kind of fellowship, what kind of partnership, what kind of intimacy do you experience in that relationship? Then why do you think it's different with Jesus? That you can keep covering, hiding, running away from, dealing with it yourself, and just everything is real intimate and joyful with him. Take it to him. Don't go silent. And this is more than just clearing the air or getting something off your chest to him or that cathartic release of it's off your chest and onto someone else. It's not a feel-good exercise. It's confess and forsake. Are there benefits to it? Yes. But the, the goal is to confess, forsake, turn from, no longer love your sin, but begin to hate it. It's what repentance is. Turning from our destruction, our chaos, our madness, and turning to Jesus' kingship and peace and love. Repentance is joyful. It's rejoicing. 
right after I acknowledge my sins, I confess, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Verse 6 says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Do you hear the teaching there? I waited. I'm not sure if this is right, but this is what I'm thinking. David waited 9 to 12 months, and he's saying, no, don't do this. Don't wait. Don't prolong. Don't keep kicking it down the road. Go to him now. Run to him now. Confess that sin to death. Now. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Verse 10, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's a joyful, beautiful, wonderful life. A life of regular repentance, regular confession to the Lord. A lifestyle of repentance is a lifestyle of joy. Because we're glad in the Lord that we've, in repentance, reordered our loves and that He is preeminent. He is our ultimate treasure. We're beholding to, talking to, worshiping Jesus. Because sin and idolatry are about worship, about what you love about who you love, it, it requires that reordering of loves where you turn in your heart to God in love and trust and obedience instead of idols. It, it trades those hates and loves, growing in a hatred for the sin that you once loved so much and then growing in love and enjoyment of the God that you rebelled against so much. This is why repentance is the beautiful discipline of the Christian life. We forsake lesser joys, run to the greatest of all time. We first forsake ourselves, our idols, our sin, our lies, and we behold and are captivated by the God-man Jesus, the one who wasted away for our sins. The one who took the heavy hand of God for our transgressions. So look to Jesus. Don't, don't go silent. Don't have your bones waste away. Don't groan in your sin. Practice a life of genuine, regular repentance. Wayne Grudem, in talking about this, he says, it's true that initial saving faith and initial repentance occur only once in our lives, and when they occur, they constitute true conversion. Nonetheless, the heart attitudes of repentance and faith only begin at conversion. These same attitudes should continue throughout the course of our Christian life. And so instead of thinking about repentance and faith as the, the double doors that you walk into life with Jesus, you should also see it as the shoes 
that you walk in as you follow Jesus. That what does it look like? I repent and believe. I repent and believe. I repent and believe. That's the walk as you follow him. It's not just how you got in. It's like, it's not like anything else. I'm done with illustrations. Tim Keller has said, the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. On the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more you are able to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions of your sin. Don't go silent. Don't go inward. Speak to God. Confess to God. Turn to God. Be honest with God. Agree with God. This change is a relational act of actually moving towards him, of turning to him, of following him. J.C. Ryle warns, to say that we're sorry for our sins is mere hypocrisy unless we show that we're really sorry for them by giving them up. Doing is the very life of repentance. And so that's what I mean by confessing this sin to death, of turning from it, of forsaking it. That this comes from a, a changing heart. So this will change in practice. This will change how you function. This will change where you go in life. David goes from guilt, shame, heaviness for nine months to what? Confession, forgiveness, and then teaching and helping others to not go down the same path he does. It's a different life for him moving forward. There's, there's change in him. There's a change in heart. There's a change in his thinking. There's a change in his actions. And so I want you to think about this. Sometimes I try to give you questions so that you wrestle with it and leave, leave some of the, the application to you. But I, I want you to think about what, what does it actually look like in practice, in function, in action? Well, the idolater will cast away his idols and be a worshiper of God alone. The angry man will repent of his anger and will pursue, not perfectly, but persistently and increasingly, self-control over his own spirit. He won't just confess, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, and not move towards Jesus in any way to grow in his self-control of his spirit. It's both and. Why? Because confession is coming from this changing heart. The person who curses will turn his back upon cutting and harsh speech and cultivate instead a, a loving tongue, a tongue which heals, which Proverbs 15.4 states is a, a tree of life. The pornographer will seek to cut off every channel through which filthy words and images flow into his life and patiently wait for or seek sexual satisfaction only through the legitimate means appointed by God. The gossip will seek to speak words of life and health rather than wounding cruelty. The proud bully will humble himself before God and others and walk 
in meekness. The lying child will seek always to speak truth. Jesus is not after your hour on a Sunday. Jesus is after all of you. It's all of your heart. The resentful or careless wife and mother will cultivate a sacrificial spirit and invest in the sphere in which the Lord has graciously placed her. A lazy dad will prayerfully establish patterns of spiritual leadership in his family, denying his sluggish temptations or inclinations. Arrogant church members will begin to consider others more than themselves and um, cultivate a more respectful attitude spirit towards their leaders. The careless saint on his or her knees clinging to Christ the rock and pleading with God for present forgiveness and daily grace. What we'll do is we'll confess our sin to death and joyfully follow Jesus. We're not going to go silent. Even if that's been our default, even if that's how we operate, even if that's where we've been. David has come in by God's spirit and said, here's wisdom for confession. Run with it. Joyful, joyful, joyful is the one whose sin is forgiven. So let's never cease in the battle against sin and confessing, turning to God and never cease upon calling for the Lord for mercy. For sins committed as the battle rages. So come back to the hook with me. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. How joyful. So now's the time to start if you haven't. Now's the time to begin if you have. And so if God's heavy hand is upon you, uncover it. And then begin to uncover it all and live a life exposing your sin to Jesus running to him time and time again and trusting he's the one that dealt with it he's the one that can deal with it he's the one that forgives father we we ask this in your son's name that this would happen that this would work that you would work in us that you would move in us that you would lead us by your hand by your kindness To see our sin. Holy Spirit, I, I confess we're blind. So will you show us? Will you show us our sin against you? Holy Spirit, will you be like the prophet Nathan and, and show us, allow us to see 
that we might turn to you, rejoice in you, be glad in you. You are our hiding place. You're the one who surrounds us with joyful shouts of deliverance. And so Lord, I, I pray that this morning culminates in joy as confession flows to you from your people. I then pray that so will the words of these songs, the joyful celebration of who you are to us and who we are to you. In Christ's name, amen.